Let us pray. Eternal God, by your Holy Spirit, open our ears to your word and fill us with the mysteries of your ancient love revealed through Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's Gospel reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Hear these words of Gospel. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When it came to preparing our house for Christmas this year, we went minimalist. A wreath on the front door, a few decorations on the mantel, my five Christmas carolers on display, and a nativity set beautifully hand-painted by my parents' lifelong friend Marge, a, a set I claimed when Mom decided to pare down some of her stuff. That's it. Wreath, mantle, carolers, and nativity. No Christmas tree for the first time ever. Now, our minimalist approach was a practical decision, not necessarily an ideological one driven by an Advent purist sensibility. The truth is, no one's even going to be at our house over Christmas. We will see them all somewhere else. Besides, I really don't have time right now for a day of decorating and another whole day of undecorating. And it's all okay. Besides, when I look at the austerity of John the Baptist as he prepared his world for the coming of God's reign, 
my own minimalism looks pretty ornate by comparison. After all, John the Baptist wore the harsh, scratchy fibers of camel's hair. He dined on bugs and honey. He preached not in the bustling community of Jerusalem, but in the barrenness and loneliness of wilderness. John was anti-establishment, the rabble-rouser, the ultimate outsider. He was like the all-business, no-nonsense, advanced team for a presidential visit to the wilderness. You'd better get ready. Prepare the way. The long-awaited Messiah is close at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. God is about to arrive. And were the people ready? No, they weren't. He knew it, and they knew it. They had not yet begun to prepare for God's arrival, and if they were going to be ready, they would need to repent. So let's talk about repentance. It's not exactly a topic we are keen on discussing. It feels rather Lent-ish. But Advent is about awaiting Jesus' coming, and as James Howell said, you can't get to Jesus without going through John the Baptist. And you can't talk about John the Baptist without talking about what it means to repent. Well, I found that sometimes the best way to learn about something difficult is to look at it through the lens of satire. I guess that's why I gravitate toward entertainers like Stephen Colbert or John Oliver or Trevor Noah. It's why I like the Babylon Bee, which describes itself as your trusted news source for Christian satire. So here's a story that they reported on last year. According to the Babylon Bee, a team of experts in biblical Greek released a report confirming that in English versions of the New Testament, the word often translated repent is better rendered you do you. <laughs> the head scholar on the review committee explained that people often think the Greek word for repentance means abandoning your old way of life. But after studying the scriptures really hard and searching our inner feelings, he said, we've determined that that is not the case. Rather, it means listen to the whispers of your innermost desires and follow those no matter what Jesus or the word of God said. You should just do you. It's all there in the text. Well, that means we would interpret John the Baptist's cry as, you do you, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or, believe in yourself and be baptized. Or don't, whatever you feel's right, it's cool. <laughs> Remember, this is satire. So if repentance isn't the satirical live and let live ethos of the Babylon Bee, what is it? 
we actually heard what it means in the questions we asked during today's baptism and reception of new members. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce the power of evil? The root meaning of to repent is to turn or to have a powerful change of mind and direction, to actively turn away from the values and actions that aren't consistent with what God wants. And the way John the Baptist describes it, it is not an easy message to hear. For he uses strong language, language of judgment and the need to cut down and burn away those things that are unjust and contrary to God's reign. A bit of self-reflection finds that our personal lists are long, idolizing anything and everything but God, pushing others aside to get an edge, taking more than our fair share, never quite satisfied, gaming the system for personal advantage, And the systemic lists, well, they're really uncomfortable to confront. The difficulty of repentance at a systemic level is illustrated by Native American author Mark Charles. He tells the story of how at Standing Rock a couple of years ago, a large public gathering of Christians stood there and renounced the doctrine of discovery. That centuries-old spiritual, political, and legal justification for colonization and seizure of land not inhabited by Christians. He said that he went back to Standing Rock a few weeks after that gathering and asked the folks there if after that they had gotten any land back. No, they didn't. Did the gathering's organizers commit that they wouldn't defend themselves in court if they were sued over the land? No, they didn't do that either. Well then, he said, this was just a photo op. He said, if you're not willing to begin to look into or give up how you have benefited from this doctrine, then it's not real repentance. Our community has its own systemic issues, and we talk about them all the time. The inequities and injustices around race and class, economics, And in the news so much this weekend, education. It seems there is a lot of real repentance that has yet to happen. In the words of N.T. Wright, roads need to be straightened out. Fires need to burn away the rubbish. Dead trees need to be cut down. We need to repent. And this is Advent? Real repentance is hard, plain and simple. And it is not without promise, for it is directly tied to the gracious mercy of God. 
People heard this message from John, and they came from everywhere to be baptized, cleansed in the muddy waters of the Jordan, waiting for God to break in and do a new thing. It's no accident it was at the Jordan River, for that is where the people of Israel first crossed into the Promised Land long ago. And now, through baptism and repentance, they would cross into God's Promised Land, the Kingdom of Heaven, in that very same place. You see, repentance would fall short if it only stopped at turning from something bad, but it also includes turning toward something so much better, and that is the realm of God. We talked about this at our commissioning class retreat about a month ago. I hope our students remember. When we repent and we return from sin and brokenness, we pledge to turn to Jesus' way of life. John the Baptist said that's how we prepare the way of the Lord. And you better do it now because the kingdom of heaven is near. God is ready to intervene and make all things new. Another writer said that that turning around that repentance is arises not so much out of guilt, not out of fear of punishment, as it does out of the sense of passion about the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. Repent to participate in this amazing thing that God is about to do. You see, the thing about repentance is that when you turn around, it's not like the kingdom of heaven is still far off out in the distance and that we still have to travel a long way to meet God halfway. Not at all. God doesn't make us go halfway. For in turning around and repenting from whatever it is that is unjust, suddenly there we are, and the kingdom of heaven is right in front of us, right before our very eyes. Maybe you are familiar with the term returning citizen. It's an important shift in language for people who are leaving prison and reintegrating into society. And the hope with this shift is to remove some of the stigmas of the old language, language like ex-con or formerly incarcerated, language that makes it more difficult for returning citizens to re-enter the community. Well, in Baltimore, There is an initiative called Turnaround Tuesday. Several from this congregation, I know Diana was one of them, got to take a peek at it a couple of years ago when we were there for the next church conference. And Turnaround Tuesday is all about helping returning and unemployed citizens to re-enter the workforce and in turn help transform their communities. Turnaround Tuesdays take place in neighborhood churches. They're part one-on-one training, part building relationship skills, part leadership development, part storytelling, part job readiness training, sprinkled with heavy doses of motivation and encouragement. It's a sight to behold. 
And this initiative builds partnerships with employers around the region to put these returning citizens in living wage jobs. They call it a second chance job movement. Participants are recruited by folks with street cred, folks they can relate to who have been through what they have been through and turned their lives around. Those that participate in Turnaround Tuesday need to attend at least six weeks of training, one half day every Tuesday. They have to attend resource days, work with a case manager, and be approved as job ready and participate in actions. It's demanding, and to date, over 600 people have completed this program and are now working at living wage jobs. Now, it's all well and good that these returning citizens have a chance to turn their lives around. But I submit that they were not the only ones that needed turning. What about those employers who had to turn from exclusionary practices and hire people that they would have previously dismissed? See, that too sounds to me like repentance. Friends, the promise of Advent is that the world is about to turn. May we prepare the way in our own wilderness for the one who is to come and come again, to turn away from our shame, turn away from our brokenness, and turn toward the kingdom that has come near, where that nativity scene that is in my dining room comes alive. Where kings and shepherds, where executives and fast food workers, where artists and analysts are all gathered around the manger. I think that old Shaker hymn is on to something. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. Amen.